Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week, the return of hitman and dog lover John Wick. All of this for what? Because of a puppy? Wasn't just a puppy. Merita, how mum decolonised the screen, is also about the price paid by the children. I had friends saying, oh, my parents told me we're not allowed to play with you anymore because of what my mother was doing. Why are you doing it? Why, why, why don't you just stop? And Top End Wedding, a rom-com with a bit of social significance thrown in. I always imagined getting married back home in Darwin. What are we talking? Are we talking tribal dancing? Did we do? Paint? Mum. <laughs> Hello, I'm Simon Morris. This time of year is random enough as the blockbuster season lumbers onto our screens in fits and starts. But now there are extra unpredictable elements for Wellington, with the seeming permanent demise of the capital's main multiplex in Courtney Place. With ten mainstream screens out of the picture, we have to seek further afield for our cinematic entertainment, which means finding a theatre not playing the Avengers Endgame. If we do this, we'd be going in short-handed. Yeah, you mean because he killed all our friends? We owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. Well, one thing offered on the non-Avengers screens this week is some of that famous diversity we've been apparently crying out for. At least, they seem fairly diverse, but are they really? Poms, directed by former documentary maker Zara Hayes, looks strangely familiar. I was hoping you'd be a man. There's not enough erections around here as it is. What's this? You were a cheerleader. My mother was very sick, so I quit the team. Maybe you should give it another shot. We've seen old ladies dancing, having themselves photographed naked, running a naughty book club, and now cheerleading. Since my interest in cheerleading is essentially limited, I might see what else is on. But put down the stapler, or I will electrocute you. Did you just talk? Whoa. Did you just understand me? Oh my god, you can understand me! Stop! I've been so lonely! Pokemon Detective Pikachu has the attraction of Ryan Reynolds playing a cop's Pokemon partner. On the minus side, it requires me to know rather more about Pokemons and Pikachus than I actually do. They try to talk to me all the time. All they hear is Pika Pika. Uh, you can hear him, right? Pika Pika! Yeah! Pika Pika Pika, he's adorable. You're adorable. They can't understand me, kid. Can no one else hear him? Since my childhood was disadvantaged by a total lack of Pokemons in it, I suspect I'm not going to bring much to the party here. And I thought I could say the same thing about the violent John Wick franchise, starring Keanu Reeves, which I also knew very little about. Do you expect him to make it out? A $14 million bounty on his head. And everyone in the city wants a piece of it. I say the odds are about even. 
This is John Wick number three, leading me to ask, what did I miss in number one and two? Well, it turns out not much. Someone killed his dog. He goes on a rampage. I can keep up with that. Meanwhile, tucked away in our smaller cinemas are two contrasting attitudes to indigenous filmmaking. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen unparalleled horror in terms of physical suffering. But the fact is, when you have children, you have an investment in the future. And so you come out fighting again. The New Zealand documentary, Merita, How Mum Decolonised the Screen, lays it all out in the title. It's a tribute to the fiercely committed filmmaker Merita Mitter by her son Hepere, and it makes very few attempts to sugarcoat Mitter's life or her message, unlike an Australian indigenous romantic comedy called Top End Wedding. Look at where I am because of you. I'm in the top end of the country. It's your place. Time to take it to the family now. Hold on to your munchies, because it's about to get crunchy. Director Wayne Blair's stock in trade is charm. He made the popular musical The Sapphires. Top End Wedding offers more than a few spoonfuls of sugar to help its bicultural medicine go down before the end. So, older women stars, women directors, Japanese cultural icons, directors of colour and bicultural romance. We're clearly up to our ears in diversity. But I know what you're thinking. What's in it for the blokes? You have no idea what's coming. Mr. Wick broke the rules. I trust you understand the repercussions if he survives. It's not until you see John Wick 3 that you realise quite how blokey the old-fashioned franchise used to be. If it starred Tom Cruise, The Rock, Jason Statham, Vin Diesel, and in this case Keanu Reeves, then it usually involved lots of shooting, chasing, hitting, and cryptic one-liners. You want to kill Barada? I'm not going to kill him. I just need to talk. What could he possibly give to you? Guidance. Now, the key element of the blokey franchise, though, is the hero. He has to have a look. John Wick has long, greasy hair and a nice suit. He has to have a mysterious past. John Wick is an ex-member of a possibly Russian assassins club. And he has to have a purpose, which leads him to take names and kick ass. Jonathan, what have you done? To dream the impossible dream. Well, it turns out from my research that in episode one, John Wick's purpose was to retire with his puppy, a present from his late wife. But some ratbag killed that puppy and something snapped in John, leading to 86 dead ratbags. And that was just the first film. I've been looking forward to meeting you for a long time. And so far... You haven't disappointed. The second John Wick movie saw the association of ratbags, who preferred to be called the high table for obvious reasons, counterattack, but John single-handedly killed dozens more. However, fatally, he broke the rules. There are assassin rules? By killing one of them on the premises of the Ratbags Hotel, the Continental. There's no escape for you. The high table wants your life. 
So now the third John Wick film sees John on the run with another dog for some reason and his last moments of freedom are being counted down at the high table. After that, there's a $14 million price on his head. Dog, five seconds. John Wick, excommunicado, in effect, in three, two, one. Now, you may or may not notice that this plot makes very little objective sense. It's a sort of blokey fairy tale in which our deadpan hero, Keanu Reeves, has never been less expressive, takes on bad guys four or five at a time, and comes out the other side wounded but undaunted. John Wick, excommunicado, is now in effect. You shouldn't be here. Nice suit. Good to see you too. To make something like this work, you need support from some top actors, all pretending to take it and John Wick himself very seriously. And nobody's better at this sort of tongue-in-cheek work than Ian McShane. And away we go. Backing up McShane is an actor who spent many of his formative years establishing Keanu Reeves as a plausible action dude, Lawrence Fishburne from the Matrix movies. You think you can take John Wick? You've got a nasty surprise coming. In keeping with the current zeitgeist, John Wick 3, subtitled Parabellum, brings in some high-powered female energy. First, the veteran but still dominating figure of Angelica Houston, no less. She plays John's former boss, the director. How can you escape from the light? Of course, you can go to the dark, but they're in the dark too. So tell me, Jardine. What do you really want? Providing more practical assistance is another old buddy of John's, Sophia, played by the ageless Halle Berry. Halle goes toe-to-toe with Keanu in the action sequences, abetted by two killer dogs. This is definitely not a franchise for cat people. Sophia, we're not going in like the old days. Just a conversation. Nothing's ever just a conversation with you, John. And from there on, John Wick 3 offers an endless diet of firepower, kung fu power, doggy power, and general taking out the trash, the sort of thing originally provided by the likes of Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Steven Seagal in less picky times. Our service is still off limits to me. What do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. The odd thing is how inoffensive all this testosterone seems to be on the screen. There was a famous autobiography of a mafia hitman once called We Only Kill Each Other. And that seems to be the charm of movies like this. We can keep this up as long as you'd like. But this only ends one way. 
Certainly half the audience I saw it with were women. I'm guessing long-suffering girlfriends humouring their blokes. And while no one could deny the John Wick franchise is as dumb as a sack full of spanners, it was undeniably entertaining. No doubt there'll be more, and hopefully more for Hallie and Angelica to do next time. All of this for what? Because of a puppy? Wasn't just a puppy. Filmmaker and activist Merita Mitter never expected anyone to give her anything. The way she told it, she did it all herself, along the way becoming the first Maori woman director and blazing a trail for indigenous filmmakers around the world. That's the story told in the film Merita, How Mum Decolonised the Screen, directed by her son Hepri Mitter. Although my mum is now gone, as an archivist, she shows me things in every frame. And I get to feel her presence again. Nine years after her death, Merita's footprint is still all over this film, and not just because of the interviews and archive footage that make up much of it. My mother once said, what you see when you look at an archival film are resurrections taking place. A past life lives again, and something from the heart and the spirit responds. But, as the title suggests, this film is also about Merita's children and their relationship with each other. Merita's first five children were a lot older than Hepperie and brought up hard, not just because life in the 70s was tough, but because the kids were often roped in to help make mum's films. I call them home movies because almost every project that mum worked on, she had us kids working on it too. Hepperie himself was not only the youngest, the son of Merita and fellow filmmaker Jeff Murphy, but his upbringing couldn't have been more different. By then, Dad was a successful Hollywood director, and those early years were spent in far more comfort than his siblings enjoyed. Kia ora. Kia ora. What's your name? Hepperie. Epi. Ah, you must be a famous relative. Who's your mum? Merita. Ah, see, son of the master. So this documentary is as much a voyage of discovery for Merita's son as it is for us. Merita's career began not as a filmmaker, but as the subject of a documentary on Maori women living in a Pakeha world. The family is the major thing in my life that has given me the courage to be the kind of person that I am. On screen, Merita Mitter made a big impression and the world of filmmaking made an impression on her. She started taking any work she could to break into it as an actor, a singer, a cultural advisor for foreign productions and finally as a producer and director. At the start, people used to look at me you know, in utter disbelief when I talked about filming. And I think it was because there not only no Maori filmmakers in the country, but the fact that I was also a woman. Her early documentaries were groundbreaking and angry, often the first time the point of view of Maori women had been so clearly spelled out. She filmed the famous Bastion Point protest at the very moment it was broken up by the authorities. And she made the documentary Patu about the Springbok tour of 1981, the film that cemented her notoriety. Mum was right there filming all of this, just indiscriminate violence. At that time I was, I was really scared for Mum's safety. This boy called me names. He told me to go back to my own country. I had 
friends saying, oh, my parents told me we're not allowed to play with you anymore because of what my mother was doing. Why are you doing it? Why, why, why don't you just stop? Shortly afterwards, she became involved in a more commercial project, the hit movie Utu, where she met Jeff Murphy, a strangely absent figure in this film. One of my primary goals is to decolonise the screen and to indigenise a lot of what we see up there. For me, it is blood for blood. Utu! Instead, the film turns to Merita Mitter, the producer, the mentor and the inspirational figure. I don't think New Zealand realised quite how important Mitter was overseas. As a pioneering Indigenous filmmaker and woman filmmaker to boot, she lit a beacon for a growing movement around the world. For Indigenous cinema, it really does trace back to Merita. She is the grandmother of Indigenous cinema. It was about changing history. It was about changing the way Native people, Maori people, were perceived by the rest of the world. The title, How Mum Decolonized the Screen, is a telling one. It's a love letter from Happy to his mother rather than a dispassionate study. And it's raised the question of how Merita Mitter has changed the way we make films through protégés like Taika Waititi. She reminded me that my point of difference in filmmaking is trying to maybe take a serious situation and inject it with a lot of irreverence or humour. New Zealand is certainly far less white and colonial than it was when she fought the forces of racism, sexism, vested interests and conservative audiences to get her films made and seen. And the film world is clearly the better for Merita Mitter's uncompromising determination to open it up to new voices, and not just here. And does that contrast with the way you feel you're seen in New Zealand? Very much so. I don't think people regard me as a very valuable resource here as much as they regard me as a nuisance. <laughs> Australia's historical treatment of its indigenous population has been generally accepted as pretty appalling. And you'd expect that this would be reflected in angry, uncompromising films from its Aboriginal filmmakers. And yet, directors like Wayne Blair don't seem interested in making political films that just get seen at earnest film festivals. Can you make it sound blacker? And I wonder And your name again? We're the Sapphires. We'll see you in Saigon. Blair first came to our attention with a little charmer, The Sapphires, about an Aboriginal girl group entertaining the troops in Vietnam. His latest is even more feel-good and commercial, right down to its title, Top End Wedding. I've got to ask you something. Marry me? Yes. (laughs) We're just meant to drop everything and fly to Darwin. It's important to Lauren. Is there any more popular and populist format than the wedding movie? Lauren, played by the Sapphire's Miranda Tapsell, who also co-wrote Top End Wedding, is about to marry Englishman Ned, Bohemian Rhapsody's Gwilym Lee, despite Ned's culturally insensitive family. I always imagined getting married back home in Darwin. What are we talking? Are we talking tribal dancing? Did we do face paint? Mum! But when the couple gets up to the family home in Darwin, Lauren's in for a shock. And not just because Dad's wandering around town in his pyjamas and scaring their dog. Dad? Hello. What's that thing? Say hello to your grandfather. 
Grandpa? Grumpy Grumps? It seems Mum's gone walkabout and not for the first time. We've seen a flashback of Mum's own problematic attitude to weddings when she was a famous runaway bride. So is there a connection with her two-word farewell note? I'm done. What's going on? Where's Mum? I just woke up and she was gone. You didn't think to tell me all this? I thought maybe she'd be back by now. But fiancé Ned is determined not to be defeatist. He may know nothing about Aboriginal culture, but he loves Lauren and is determined to do whatever it takes to get her the wedding she wants. I've always been able to see it. Both my parents walking me down the aisle. I can't get married if my mum isn't here. So we're going to go and find her? Lauren and Ned leave Dad in Darwin and take off even further north to Australia's fabled top end. And fortunately for them, Mum has left certain clues along the way. She seems to have made an impression on everyone she met, including a fraudulent French tour guide. Do you know where she went? What? To Catherine? To Catherine? In a minute. Mm-hmm. Quit here bashing me, love. Yeah, she caught a knee dragon to Catherine. Now bugger off. Au revoir! The will-they-won't-they-get-married plot is fairly routine, with added complications from Lauren's prickly boss, Kiwi Kerry Fox, with most of the stops out, and Lauren's besties, sort of surrogate sapphires, to give it a bit of girls' night out energy. Weddings change people. Not just the bride and groom. Make this wedding romantic and you'll get Arnie back. Marriage is a journey, and what better place to start that journey than right here? But what top-end wedding is really about is the relationship between the cultures. White dad and Aboriginal mum, Aboriginal Lauren and Englishman Ned, and how much easier things can be if everyone approaches them with a positive attitude. Dad, I need you to plan the wedding. Hey? If we find mum, you're off the hook. But I don't even know where to start. Ned, in particular, you'd think, is almost too good to be true. Played by Gwilym Lee as a reprise of his performance as Brian May in Bohemian Rhapsody. Then he was the world's greatest bandmate. Here, he's the world's most lovable fiancé. I need to find my mum. When you're hurting, where do you go looking? Back home. Mum's from the Tiwi Islands, but I've never gone to Tiwi. How about we just go up there? As I said, the plot and characters are too good to be true if you're making a big, important film tackling Australia's colonial wrongs. But Top End Wedding isn't that film. Instead, it's aiming to win over a general audience first, then giving the punters a little something to think about on the way home. He's two hours late. Anyone got any jokes? Like most films with the word wedding in the title, Top End Wedding is more icing than wholly satisfying cake. But it showed me stuff I didn't know and, more important, didn't make me feel bad for not knowing it. That's a pretty good balance all in all. And on that belated reward for diversity, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.